0: Projection to do it.
1: <laughs> what does literature sound like? What stories will we hear if we listen to the archive? Welcome to the Spoken Web Podcast. Stories about how literature sounds. My name is Hannah McGregor, and each month I'll be bringing you different stories of Canadian literary history and our contemporary responses to it, created by scholars, poets, students, and artists from across Canada. An archive is a space of collective memory, a place where materials deemed to have historical or social significance are stored and ordered. But who controls what is collected, what gets remembered? Archives are inherently political. And we can rethink the archive as a space for celebrating marginalized voices, for contending with historical exclusion, violence, and underrepresentation. Through addressing the politics of the archive, what futures might we imagine? In this episode of the Spoken Web podcast, artists and Spoken Web fellows Jamila Malika and Jessica Karahanga sit down with producer Catherine McLeod to talk about the sounds and sound-based practices that have informed their projects as recipients of the 2020-2021 Spoken Web Artist Curator-in-Residence Award. We also hear from Spoken Web RA poet and spoken word artist Faith Paré about her work with Jamila and Jessica in listening to and searching through the Spoken Web audio collections. Questions of the archive and the archival impulse run through these conversations about the sound of sound art, archival recordings of voices speaking specifically as Black women and Black non-binary folks, the vocalic body in and as archive, and the agency of the listener. All of these questions start with talking, or as Jamila says early on, talking about talking. As the producer of the Shortcut series on the Spoken Web podcast feed, Catherine brings her approach of using an audio clip as the starting point for conversation. Here are Jamila Malika, Jessica Karahanga, Faith Paré, and Catherine McLeod with Talking About Talking.
2: I'm reading Undrowned by Alexis Pauline Gumbs. And she has this quote here. uh, Chapter one is called Listen. And she says, Listening is not only about the normative ability to hear, It is a transformative and revolutionary resource that requires quieting down and tuning in.
0: That was Jamila Malika. Jamila holds the position of Artist-in-Residence with Spoken Web this year.
2: Hey everyone, I'm Jamila Malika, and I'm so happy to chat with you today, Catherine, about sound and my upcoming project with Spoken Web. I'm a sound artist I also, you know, work with text off page, but also thinking about video and installation. Mostly my practice is thinking about Black women and care. So whatever I make, no matter what it looks like or if it reads like or sounds like, um, Black women are always at the center.
0: For this episode of the Spoken Web Podcast, I sit down over Zoom with the two recipients of this residency. Jamila, Malika, and Jessica Karahanga. In these conversations, we'll start with an audio piece and we'll learn how the piece began, the voices that inform it and how it's influenced the current residency projects. Maybe we can jump right into totally. actually talking about the audio that you sent over because I oh, cool. kind of like use <laughs> that as the ground. The way that I approached these conversations was like sitting down to talk and listen together like we do on Shortcuts. Yes, I'm Catherine McLeod, and you may recognize my voice from Shortcuts, a monthly feature on the Spoken Web podcast feed. On Shortcuts, I play a shortcut from Spoken Web's audio collections as a starting point for reflecting upon what it means to listen to archival sound. For my interviews with Jamila and Jessica, I thought I'd try using the Shortcuts approach in which an audio clip would be the starting point for our conversations. Listening to this piece was how Jamila and I started our conversation, and that's what we will listen to now. This is Listen to Black Women by Jamila Malika.
3: as a Black woman,
1: which is black, blackness, calling um, myself constantly being called out my for people, uh, my I, people. My um, people, I even I, um, I, I, I even, I, um and, and thinking, I thinking, I think, I think, I think, I um, think, I it's, I think, my white voice second, when I said, hi. often took in a oh, false version. Also, I sell
2: in a way that makes
1: white people comfortable
2: has become. I worked for twenty-four years in a telecommunications second, company without using my Trinidad
1: dialect.
2: Super comfortable. Super uh, comfortable. Guy, super guy, comfortable.
1: Dialect. Yeah. I've been moving. Yeah. Um, I've been moving as uh, um, a way black woman. I've been my moving, spirit is, I could
4: trusting. Uh, spirit is, I could uh, so powerful power
1: yeah.
4: um, like or authority in, in, like I said,
3: in, said, in relation girl to girl others. Um, like I said, um, brown, brown girl,
1: that um, black.
3: Finding space for yourself. Finding um,
1: space for yourself. less small with and in my body in totality. Uh, um uh, and
3: um
1: um, 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 um uh, yes what do you feel uh, you have to do, to do um, in order to or, get you know, your needs more, which seems like a lot but uh, all of those things are happening like, uh, a lot Ugh,
3: i don't know <laughs> and and
1: uh, how i'm actually always 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 uh, yeah mm-hmm. Um, in relation yeah. to in, uh, my body, yeah. uh, um, in relation um, to like a lot, in, yeah, my body. Blackness. Um, um, in in
3: blackness. In relation to my body, um, I am what it talking means in a way
1: to of myself. To be black and to be black enough, to be black just as I am, as a black woman, just as I am, as a black woman, um, just as I am. Power in her voice. That, that's her base. That, that's her base. That, that's her base. That's her base that D- that's her base that D- that's her base that D- that's her base
3: he addressed and recognized and appreciated and respected 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 and and appreciated and respected and recognized and appreciated and respected oga ejor Ad- now make we park there now ejor Ad- oga please now where girls now? God, look my face. at hey, Joe really,
1: really I'm loving, loving my spirit and, in a way that I can feel it. My
3: spirit, could feel it. Trusting. Um, my um, spirit, could feel it. It's so uh, powerful. Yeah, uh,
1: it is. Like I um, said, brown
3: girl that was black. Like I said. Well, brown girl that was black. Like I said. Brown girl that was black.
1: Finding space <laughs> and, for yourself. Finding space uh, for yourself. less uh, small. Um, I'm actually in, in my body always. Always. in totality. Uh, in uh, relation to uh, uh, in my uh, body. I. Um, In
5: relation to
3: trusting,
1: trusting, in relation to, or in my body. uh, um, Yes. What do you feel you have to to do in order to get your needs? Just as I I lot, Just as I am. As a black woman. woman. Just as I am. Power in her voice. That's her base. um,
3: yeah. Uh Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh, uh mm-hmm. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blackness. Um, as a black um, woman, I am blackness. Um, I black, am blackness. Talking, calling myself my called out I'm for. Myself talking about um, um, myself by myself, uh, I, myself. and I'm thinking um, I, I, think about,
3: I think i think
0: um as a black
3: woman so
1: i
0: think about as a black woman as a black woman as a black woman as a black woman my
3: people I, I express myself yeah. just as i just so as i mean like I, I didn't think, think to be able to speak yeah. just as i am just as i am freedom
2: Yeah, Listen to Black Women is such a community um, and lonely, like, I, it was such a weird evolution of a project. Um, I was out in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute having, like, a really hard time, and I was in this cool class, it was called Psychoacoustics, and it was led by this great artist named Kamau Patterson. And he had asked us to think really broadly about like a sound project and thinking about how sound occupies space. And I started thinking a lot about code switching and how in the space of the school, I was doing something with my voice in certain exchanges, notably with white women, where I was trying to mimic pitch and tone and like register as a way to navigate a lot of this like terrible tension around being a Black girl who's making a lot of trouble. So in my first month and a half at that school, I was in about five meetings with admin about, you know, things that we talk about in Canada, like cultural competency and decolonizing your curriculum and What's going on with your canon, and how can you transform that and make it more accessible for different kinds of people? I was trying to figure out how to be a part of like shifting that and hearing myself bend and um, contort vocally, and so I thought like, oh, I'm going to do a project where I record myself doing these shifts, and I just I felt so lonely. (laughs) It's like really. Intensely lonely. And I just put a call out to my friends like, Can you send me audio of yourselves just talking about what it's like to talk as Black women? Just talking about talking.
1: Uh, less uh, small, um, I'm actually in, in my body always. in
3: totality. In relation to uh, uh, in my body. Um, uh, in relation
2: to, uh, I made it for the class and then I took it to like a sound symposium at school. And I felt really weird. Like, I felt like, oh my God, is this actually sound art? (laughs) And I played it there. And then I made it a couple other versions. And then somebody who had heard it, she, she reached out to me, Soledad Munoz, who runs something called Current Feminist Sound Symposium, was like, can we play this? And that was really exciting. And she talked about how in the moments of seeing it, played how people negotiated the space and started to kind of change thoughts that I had about like how it could be installed. So then, you know, it installed in a few different ways. So one time I had it installed with like interactive uh, speakers. So I had some friends make a program where it would be triggered by motion. So people had to get behind a speaker for something to kind of turn on. You know, and other times I've had it playing in conjunction with a video work. Other times through headphones and I ask people to look in a mirror and watch themselves listen. And then there's like a notebook where I ask them to like, leave me a reflection. Like, what does it feel like to listen to Black women? And the idea of like, pay attention. So once it was at Prefix Gallery and they have an audio art gallery. So that's like, this just very nice enclosed space. And a curator who saw it there reached out to me and asked me if I would like design an enclosure. So now, you know, I got to think about like, what's the interiority of that sound as an experience of, um, you know, like uh, what what I could weed paste in terms of like a collage or what the smells might be in that space or what the lighting would be like in that space. So it's really been this exciting evolution
0: at work. It's fantastic to hear about all the different iterations of it. And even <laughs> yeah. like there's, there's so many things from what you just, because the, the piece is, is it's about the speaker and the speaker's voice, but really, especially as I made a note of like the word relation that starts to emerge yeah. through. And so thinking that even in the presentation of it, if there's a sense that, there's a connection between the sound and the listener and that you could be part of developing a sound booth to 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 design that experience or really to be thinking about how is this sound reaching the listener and what is that experience like and so then piece becomes about that listening experience too which is really really fascinating
2: I'm always like really curious like what, what is it um like to listen to Black women? When's the last time? So some of the prompts in the notebook were like, when's the last time you listened to Black women? You know, and like, what are those circumstances? And I think one of the showings was around the moment of Trump's election. And there was so much kind of social commentary around like, we should have listened to Black women, you know, and like this idea of uh, the, the Black women in your office or the Black women in your private personal spaces, like how, how do you listen? When do you listen? Do you listen? Um, I'm, I'm really interested in that as like a bigger question.
0: Circling back to that very first, the very first sound that we hear in the piece, could you speak about
2: that? Yeah, like the nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the in the first iterations I made, they were very like legible. And I think it's somewhere conversations with friends with advisors like what is a move more towards like fugitivity and like mystery and like not explaining everything and um and so a lot of those like just um like an and you know like those sounds they do a lot more they do the thing they're talking about you know and how we we can't explain everything, but it it can be something the body does, you know, just like a a letting go of something or a sucking in of something, and and how um, that just
0: comes out really organically. Mm-hmm. And even the the sound of it, it I felt like it caught it caught attention. You almost do take a breath yourself, or just kind of really pause. Oh. The breath is so integral but also yeah. it really says it says everything so it's, uh, yeah
2: you know and there's like ways like I'm Nigerian and Trinidadian and like you know in both of those um, cultures we suck teeth you know mm-hmm. and like um, Michelle Pearson Clark has this beautiful sound work Uh, that's also a visual it's like audio visual work that's just acquired by like a national gallery it's exciting when sound work is becoming a part of that echelon of like art to me because that work you know it's a suck teeth composition and it's it's really just about that sound and everybody (laughs) making that sound and how that sound relates to grief and to emotion and to all kinds of um like responsiveness and um, and it has meaning, you know. And and Michelle names that work "Suck Teeth" composition after Rashad Newsom, and he's a an uh, Afri- an African American sound artist. And that he, his work is called the Shade composition, and it's all these Black women making all these nonverbal sounds. And I learned about it only after making. My, you know, listen to black women. I was like, wow, it's this really beautiful performance where he has all these black women on stage. And it's, it's, it's really like, um, orchestral, uh, and like a symphony of, of these nonverbal sounds. It's really, it's very special about, um, these, like I just did it, <laughs> these sounds <laughs> that are just, um, a part of, of like knowing black women, you know, like if you're in knowing this kind of little um, responses, but it's very personal. It's very intimate.
0: Yeah. And it also thinking too, that something becoming something, that is so personal, intimate, becoming say a composition or becoming compositional. And mm-hmm. um, I did think of the way that the, the voices, um, like I wrote down the word polyphonic at one point mm-hmm. of like thinking that what, it, what that it creates. And it really, it's this overwhelming sort of polyphony of, voices, but they're and they they become very musical. I it felt like a very mm-hmm. polyphonic experience in listening yeah. to it. Yeah. There's
2: definitely rhythm. And I mm-hmm. I I think there are places when I really played that up. Mm-hmm. Um and it just felt it felt good.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it feels it feels good to listen to as well. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's great yeah. to hear.
0: Yeah, no, definitely and uh yeah I love the uh the idea too of it being Sort of um, coming out of also thinking about like talking about talking too because that's yeah. something that you know just thinking of um, it's a way too to think of like how we how we connect as bodies together too. So just as I am, as
1: black woman, just as I am,
3: power in her voice.
1: That's her base. That's her base. That's her base. That's her base. That's her base.
2: When it comes to the spoken web project, this is really an opportunity to build an archive that shows that Black, Indigenous, and people of color artists who make sound works, who are women, femmes, gender non-conforming, are really contributing to like what sound art looks like. And it doesn't have to be verbal. So Nikita Gale, is a sound artist who I really love who um, makes works. That, that, like, there's an installation she has where it's like um, water rolling off of drum kits, you know? And um, there's an artist named Rusiel, So a black woman who um, makes like a solar informed sound work, right, so has these panels, and they are uh, uh, connected to different notes, and they, like, sat out in this field and, like, just produced sound, right? Like, um, there's just so much sound art that is really about found sound, about, like, evoking sound, and also all the way into the spectrum of, like, recordings that include voice, And how do Canadian Black artists like show up in this work? And in my work, I know who I'm like in conversation with. I don't know who else knows, (laughs) you know? So the project is really about like giving, um, and I hate to use the word visibility because it's not about visuality, right? Because it's giving an audibility to these sound artists who I'm really certain that when it comes to people who face the burden of representation and just the way the art as a market drives certain trends in reproducing black pain um, and trauma. And I think what sound does is it it undoes what visuality does. (laughs) And I think it, does what visuality cannot. It makes the listener almost interrogate themselves in a different way than looking. When I think about art and its limitations or it's like liberatory capacity, I really think that sound art is this really exciting opportunity to like free yourself of visuality and to give, whole new possibilities in terms of like relating to the audience. I hope the website as an archive it serves to highlight these Canadian contributions. I think, you know, there might be some works like across turtle island but largely Canadian contributions to sound art and will like in the in my greatest hopes will inspire a lot of young people who are black, indigenous and of color to like try their hand at some sound art. There's some great stuff in the archives, like Lillian Allen. Yes. You know, so like really like sound poems, you know, and Faith Paré as, is being really super helpful helping me navigate the archive. So I think if I had to kind of go into the spoken web archive and like dig around myself, I would probably be having a way harder time. Yeah. So it's really helpful, you know, that Faith as someone who's at Spoken Web is really collaborating with me. And I owe her a great deal for helping me figure out, you know, she's like, okay, kind of what are you, who are you looking for? And I'm like, okay, these people, these people, these people, and she's like, got it. And, you know, so there's some great recordings of Shani Mutu that she's found. And so it's, it's like, it, you know, Shani is uh, and a writer, and um, a novelist, and also a painter. It's this quite large range, you know. So Chani, it, talking is going to be included, and I think it it does. This idea of drawing a circle is 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 kind of where I'm at in this moment of like, what is in, what is out, how do I. Um, make something that feels not comprehensive, but like as generative as possible so that people are like, oh, there's all kinds of possibilities. And yeah, I think kind of hard definitions isn't, isn't really what I'm going for, but more so this feeling of range.
0: After speaking with Jamila, I was interested in the kinds of resources in the Spoken Web Audio Collections that she might be tapping into? And what could these recordings tell us about the sound of Black women's voices in the archives? She mentioned Spoken Web RA Faith Pare, and I asked Faith about what she had found so far, and also about the process.
5: Yeah, um, I think what was really interesting in starting off with Jamila's project, reading through it for the first time after she was selected by the jurors, and starting to get acquainted with it in our like first Zoom meetings was how much I felt immediately that her project, as well as Jessica's, was going to impact my own research as a Black woman poet. Um, with you know, a huge re- uh, research interest in like black cultural production in Canada. Um, I'm really invested in taking a look at Black created artifacts and my own experience at Spoken Web. Uh, for the last year or so, almost a year, has been digging through and seeing what is also in the archives that is waiting to be discovered or waiting to be animated in a particular way. Last summer I had worked with uh, the Words and Music shows, uh, Metadata and Community Collection, uh, which contains a lot of spoken word. And that's a tradition that's full of Black innovators. And it's a tradition that I've come out of and I'm very familiar with. From the get-go, I revisited this collection because I had grown to know it so closely and known, uh, grown to know the uh, curation and the collaborators on that project. I started off by essentially listening to pieces that I had already listened to a few times, sets by Lillian Allen, for example, or Tahita Tanya Evanson. Um, And then from there, it was a matter of consulting Swallow, which is Spoken Web's open source metadata ingestion system, uh, as many will know, and um, using keywords around Black poetry and poetics in an attempt to find recordings from other institutions. Because we have lots of community collections, um, there were also really exciting pieces by young Black spoken word artists um, who may be recording technically for the first time, as well as... um, There were like more formal readings uh, coming out uh, SFU, for example, of like Essie Edugin and Julian Okopitek. Uh, And there was also some materials, too, that probably won't make it into the final just because of the particular interest that Jamila has around her project, which is really about uh, honoring the sonic artistry of Black artists. Um, But there were some interviews as well with uh, Gwendolyn Brooks and Amiri Baraka um, and some uh, more materials of Amiri Baraka's that I wouldn't have expected to find not only in Spoken Web's archives, but just the Canadian archives per se as well.
0: In terms of recordings that really sort of caught your attention, what what would they be?
5: Well, I'm a huge, huge, huge Lillian Allen fan. And um, particularly when we think about Lillian's career and her... um, huge influence in dub poetry not only in Canada but uh in the Caribbean and around the world uh that dub poetry is the perfect example of a form that integrates uh literary form and uh what's going on in a studio and also the oral performance tradition and also rejects all of those labels at once to hear some of her work again in the archives was very exciting. And because I also have a uh, huge interest in um, what a Black aesthetic is and what a a tradition of Black criticism around our poetics is, uh, finding some of those Amiri Baraka interviews was very, very exciting too. Um, And I'm very excited to revisit them. And we also, me and Jamila had another gushing moment when we got sent some Shani Mutu recordings and Shani Mutu is um, an Indo-Caribbean, particularly Indo-Trinidadian um, writer. Um, she's not black, but um, because Jamila is Trinidadian and has like a, um, a relationship and um, in awe of Shani's work, uh, we had this, oh, wow, moment of, the, I can't believe this is like sitting in an institution and we haven't been able to listen to it. So um, it's one of those things where I think when you're researching, Uh, Everything is never going to make it into the final cut. But still finding those recordings and knowing that they can enrich your own listening experience or also you can pass them along to someone else who might benefit from it.
0: It makes me think, too, that
5: it really in
0: in finding these recordings, it's also changing the sound of spoken web as a project. And sort of it it not only changes the sound of what one thinks of in terms of the sound of it, but also what kind of sound based research can be done. Uh, through its archival collections.
4: I really think storytelling and myth making is about self-articulating. It's also about witnessing. It's also about a reassertion or an affirmation of presence that I that I am here. I am Jessica Caruhenga. I also go by Chichoncho I am a multidisciplinary artist. I spoke
0: with Jessica on Zoom. We started with an audio clip of where it all began. It is a piece called All of Me. You can find a link to the entire piece in the show notes for this episode. We started our conversation by listening together to the opening section.
1: people ask me all the time what kind of
2: stories do you want to tell and i say exhume those bodies
1: exhume those stories the stories of the people
2: who dreamed big and never saw those dreams to fruition
1: people who fell in love and lost
2: Because we are the only profession that celebrates what it means to live a
1: life.
3: like just when you think about like happy memories with your family but and you remember when your family was happy and your family's just so not even existent anymore so thinking about those like happy times where we had like a childhood and and we would get in the van and go camping every weekend and our like our summers used to be us as a family swimming in the pool and how happy we were and I guess sometimes you want to think about that stuff because you remember when you were just like purely happy and just didn't have to stress out about about the dynamic that your family was in because you thought felt safe and you felt secure. So I feel like I feel nostalgia. I feel nostalgia for the feeling of when I was a child and I felt secure and safe and happy and I didn't have any care in the world. I'm really uh, nostalgic about not necessarily even nostalgia just like yearn yeah I yearn for that feeling and I wish I knew at the time that I should enjoy that feeling because I have and because of all the stuff that was gonna happen and like I guess it makes you look forward to when I have children of my own I want them to have those memories and then never let those memories get ruined like
4: the way that Is
1: that good? Is that all? Sure. There is no time in the past that I want to return to in my life. Because I have trouble relating to who I was in the past. I can never quite return to that headspace. I experienced regret,
2: and um, time travel for me would be an opportunity to correct those mistakes, rather than stay within the same
4: history as it played itself out. All of Me is the name of the piece. It's an assemblage of voices, Black women, femmes, uh, non-binary, gender non-conforming folk, and I basically asked people who are close to me. So there's that innate trust there, which felt very pertinent to just address how they were feeling. The original voice that we listened to, the initial voice is uh, an acceptance speech that Viola Davis made for an Emmy or a Golden Globe. I remember being really blown away by this because she was articulating something for me that transcended, kind of affirmed or reminded me that there's a lot that you're still enduring in doing the work or the work that she may be doing, a person that I do not know, but I felt there was analogies I could draw to my experience. So I was very moved to that um, notion of exhuming um, and withstanding um, these kind of thresholds. So Yeah, that just felt like the initial impulse. And then I was, from that, I wanted to just hear from people that I know intimately to speak to these kind of alterities, these self forming, um, self articulations, um, the imagination, like how we imagine ourselves. So I find that in moments of despair, there are twofold responses one that is kind of this nostalgic past. Tense looking to the past, romanticizing it, and then it's like for what, for whom. Often, the greater your proximity to like whiteness or able bodied cis hetero embodiments, maybe the more likely you are to have this kind of nostalgia. Uh, or it's about these alterities, you are trying to imagine like a kind of Afro future, or maybe it's just an entirely different dimension. And there is one of the speakers who speaks to later on to dimensionality and time travel and all these beautiful, strange things. So, you know, it's it's in a constellation with kind of Octavia Butler's thinking and is actually, the project was heavily inspired by texts of hers like Kindred and uh, like black science fiction as well. So that's, it's really through the voice. I feel like there's something there um that maybe is tied to like storytelling myth making and like oral rituals
0: yeah I'm thinking the 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 opening line of like they ask me all the time what stories you want to tell
4: yeah I really wanted to take you kind of on a a journey like where you begin being hyper aware and attentive to every word that's being said but that the music can be a kind of compliment or buttress or support to that voice. So, you know, I listened over and over and over again to the recordings that I recorded. You know, on voice memos on recorders that I have. Uh, so they're very a mix of low and very high fi depending on if I can meet in person with the person or if we are geographically dislocated. But I basically listened, spent time with these recordings. After getting their consent and okay to use the material, and just thought about what sounds could complement it. Already, in having these voices, it speaks to a history of assemblage and sampling, and these kind of markers of hip hop, R and B, pop music. All music at this point involves a lot of like sampling and remixing. There's all these different stylistic things that happen that were really just me kind of reflecting back, back and forth between this. So I really wanted to reinforce that kind of call and response. So I asked a question, they responded to it. And I, and when they're comfortable, you know, a few seconds into speaking, it becomes um, like kind of free form. You kind of like lose yourself in in the storytelling. And then the same, then I respond again with the sound. So it's this kind of call and response in the actual making and coalescing of the project, and also it's a project that's about, it's a th- almost 30 minutes long, the entire piece. So it's something, I mean, the the experiencer or witnesser always has a choice to stay or go. And also I usually have it playing on a loop on headphones, um, kind of evoking what might be a listening booth at music stores, just an experience.
0: To step outside the conversation for a moment, on Jessica Karahenga's website, there's some documentation from a piece called "Through a Brass Channel" from 2017. I wanted to ask her about a woman moving while listening to headphones. I asked her if she was listening to all of me, like
4: the visual of the listening. So like, I had to ask you that. <laughs> but... And and what are you privy to? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're close. Yeah. Yes and no. So um in that installation it's i call it like a multivalent multi channel installation so i had about six different works in that that were either sculptures video installations and whatnot so in that documentation of the performance and exhibition making um you're you are really saying seeing exhibition making happening in real time and temporality which is also like a element of like music making its space making but it's like oral you know and so that person um they're listening on headphones to the sound of a video that's looping but you're not privy to the screen and that was also a a structure, uh, structural or a divisive choice I made that when you entered the space, like through the through the doorways, that the back of the screen would be towards you. So you as a spectator have to acknowledge that being a viewer, observer is a verb, is an action that you are complicit in the space making. So someone else could go to the listening booth, listen to all of me on their headphones, and then be watching what it is you're looking at. So that's why I was saying you're, yes and no. It's, it's both. The two coexist is because someone actually had that experience where they were there explaining to me that they had the headphones on and they were listening to all of me. And then they saw the performer in the corner swaying back and forth with their headphones on kind of in their own world. And felt like there was a moment of synchronicity, a moment that they shared that was temporal, that no one else could embody and experience. So I really was wanting to, you know, cultivate that.
0: After hearing that response, I knew that I had to ask Jessica one more question about Through a Brass Channel. I saw that the performance had featured a guest, Emnor Bazy philip and I had to ask her about what that performance was
4: like. Through a Brass Channel was the installation and All of Me was one of the artifacts in that constellation of work. So there, there is that another project was called Kiss the Sky, another object. And they all had different names. Um, the video the person's witnessing with the headphones on is called Moon in the Twelfth House. And there were four constant performers that were circulating the space. And I just basically told them, you know, come and go as you please. And the, remain, the initial kind of... Uh, precursors or determinants were. I want you to come to the space with an object or a gesture that's like something that only we share so someone brought in an urn someone else brought in turmeric someone brought in salt someone brought in cloths and at first we were using them the way that like the general public might think to use them like salt I'm pouring it out picking it up I'm like a scarf, I'm folding it, unfolding it. But over time, it went from just not just these, these objects to like the wall becomes material, the headphones that have a utilitarian function for visitors becomes an art material as well. So that's where those boundaries started to blur is like giving that in the spirit of liberatory politics, giving that freedom to the people I invited in to activate the thing. And then with Norbeze uh, Philip, we met through a childhood friend of mine um, who has worked with her for years. So through this connection um, of a a mutual close person in our lives, we kind of built this um, friendship or this like, for, um from my side it's like deep affinity and like respect and reverence. Um and also from someone who's very kind and generous and it, it you feel like they're um approachable. And so just based out of that, I kind of respect her affinity, shot uh, my shot, so to speak, and asked if she would be willing to be a guest in my piece and I think she found it really interesting because I don't think she considers herself a performance artist, even though she does these um every year, this kind of elegy. And, and to be clear, I think the enactment of Zan is not at all a performance. It is like a reading, it is a response, it is a it is elegiac. So it isn't it is an enactment that happens. Um, annually or sometimes multiple times a year it's different from performance art capital but even with my performance art I'm not precisely because I am a black queer person it's very different for me because of the gaze that I invariably have to deal with and have no power over it also doesn't feel like performance art for me like it's not I'm not ever playing a character it's never play time for me in fact it's exhausting you know and that is why I told the performers you know show up however you are if you need to take a break if it's only for 15 minutes today if it's for four hours like what is it that you can do so in asking Norbeze I yeah we didn't I just invited her we decided on a date we opened it to the public for people who wanted to witness so we we had seating there and we kind of just um improvised and intuited intuited like what we did so she brought in um, leafs from Zon, like like photocopy leaves, and some libations and other um, ritual objects, because that was like also what was already happening in this space. And we just did this column response. I couldn't tell you if it lasted an hour or two hours. There was no documentation of it at all. Like maybe some poor quality cell phone photos that were very discreetly take took it, taken so as not to disrupt the energy exchange that was happening and a few people that shared with me their experiences of w- watching us said they thought we rehearsed it like there were moments of profound synchronicity or just like sharing like there was a moment where she was um making making these sort of sounds or gestures and I kind of received it but my eyes were closed like just these like beautiful moments that happened over and over and over again and I think It involves trust and risk and an openness to allow for something like that to happen, to not want to control the thing, to understand that it isn't, that it is art, but it also transcends art.
0: People ask me all the time, what
2: kind of stories do you want to tell? And I say, exhume those
1: bodies.
4: I guess I'll start with how my relationship with Spoken Web took shape or came into vision, the field of vision. Mm-hmm. There was an open call, and I responded. And then was at a moment where you know we are reeling around more, unmoored from um, not simply the deaths of George Floyd and among others. You know ju- the kind of response to that, like suddenly because we are all forced to be silent at home and like obedient kind of proletariats to care. You know, suddenly people were like, oh, I have proof I'm witnessing anti Blackness differently. And so there was this re traumatization that was also going on. So I had a lot of feelings that I was going through a lot of grief, a lot of rage, a lot of this, so that there's that bit. And then, you know, all the opportunities predicated or riffing off of people's guilt, do the Instagram takeovers to do, to make art, not even people naming that it's directly a result of this, but we know that it is no coincidence. You have all these positions popping up in institutions of black people doing black things and, the ID takeovers, whatever it is, like all these positions being like formed in the wake there. That's the second bit. The third bit is in my way of dealing with that was plugging out and ignoring that thing. And in resistance to the pervasive circulation of images, violent images being like, I want to return to this other space. I want to be with the music I'm doing I want to I want to feed my like senses nourish my senses and I want to sort of heal so I actually was remembering this piece in that project and as a whole and how nourishing it was for a different point in my life where I was also dealing with a lot of grief and illness. And some friends of mine had brought up the project. So I was like, okay, there seems to be this need for this. I found myself sharing a lot of voice notes with close friends. And I was like, oh, there's something here with the voice note, even musically, how like something like an interlude functions as this kind of interstitial thing. So I kind of put all those things together and vomited up a like proposal very last minute kind of undulating should I, shouldn't I? And then I was like, no, I'm gonna, this feels important. I'm gonna just do this. And it'd be nice to have some support and resources to help make this happen because I'm one person and I don't know how much I could actually facilitate different people being vulnerable. You know, I'm not a -hmm. therapist. I don't have a practice like practice like that and all these things. So that's kind of what happened. I responded to this open call. I got selected and now what how that has to do with all of me is All of me was, you know, started within my own circle. These are people that I care deeply about. These are close friends. But I wanted to bring it, expand it outward to people who are not my family, but our kin, our fam. So I was like, oh, maybe it has to be an open call. I want to facilitate something that is bigger than me, larger than me, that can become a self-sustaining thing. So that's how I arrived at my current project, which is basically a digital artwork Website repository for people to unleash their their stories.
0: We've covered a lot, but I was wanting to ask you about whether you see this as an archive.
4: I think it is. I think like I have this project that is also involves sound and performance called hashtag Carefree, and with that, I made a video collage out of all the images and videos and vines when Vine was still a thing in Twitter. Right. with ca- that is all archived like because hashtags are a form of archiving or or classification we can say classified through uh, carefree black girl and I was like oh it's interesting or carefree black boy and I was like oh what if all of these things I assemble all of these things into this like visual assemblage and I like responded to them. So again, that calm response thing is there. What if it's cues for choreography? So I think of it in a similar way because these people are living, are still living people. They're present. They were in the moment and present when they made these videos. It's all about self-defining. Like I am deciding the terms of how I reveal and conceal and what I share and what I don't share. You know, That's where the social media bit is distinct but interesting so I do see this as like in proximity to that or in a constellation of that so it it is an archive but I just don't feel like oftentimes when we speak about archives particularly in relation to indigenous subjectivities I mean that globally so let's get even more specific about African peoples there's primitivism it's always about this past tense thing of like rarefying our subjectivities to the past as objects, a so larger thing like these museological conversations, cabinets of curiosities, these like colonial capturing of artifacts and like living beings, whether they be plant life or humans that are captured. So yeah, archive is loaded, artifact is loaded, but I don't know what other words to use. It is situated in that thing, but like in a space of reclamation or something.
0: At one point, Jessica refers to the recordings as cues for choreography, a phrase that not only suggests that the recordings invite a response, a doing, a making, but also that this doing and making might happen in another medium or art form altogether. I think back to speaking with Jamila and how, throughout our conversation, she was sitting beneath a vivid painting— and only when our conversation veered into the archives towards the end and about the writers whose voices are recorded there, she mentioned Shani Mutu and that the painting behind her was in fact a Shani Mutu painting. I tell that story here because it feels as though it brings it all together. The painting, the recording, the speaking body in front of the painting, the listening, the conversation.
2: You know, Shani is a, an, a writer, and um, a novelist and also a painter. Um, I'm actually sitting under one of her paintings.
0: Um, I, I wanted to ask you at some point. Yeah. I was like, I'll oh, maybe wait to... They, they were all invitations or responses to cues for choreography. And thinking back to that painting reminds one that talking about sound art is not only talking about sound. Talking about talking is not only about talking. What kinds of cues for choreography Do the sounds of this podcast activate? In which practices of everyday life might this activation bring a kind of freedom? What might you make in response?
1: Spoken Web is a monthly podcast produced by the Spoken Web team as part of distributing the audio collected from and created using Canadian literary archival recordings found at universities across Canada. Our producer this month is Spoken Web team member Catherine McLeod of Concordia University. Thank you to Jessica Karahanga, Jamila Malika and Faith Bray for their candid discussion and contributions to this episode. Our podcast project manager and supervising producer is Stacey Copeland. And our assistant producer and outreach manager is Judith Burr. A special thanks to Dr. Kristen Moria of Queen's University and Tawita Tanya Evanson of Mother Tongue Media for their role in adjudicating the 2020-2021 Spoken Web Artist, Curator, and Residence Award. To find out more about Spoken Web, visit spokenweb.ca and subscribe to the Spoken Web podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. If you love us, let us know. Rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or say hi on our social media at Spoken Web Canada. From all of us at Spoken Web, be kind to yourself and one another out there. We'll see you back here next month for another episode of the Spoken Web Podcast. Stories about how literature sounds.